Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. The podcast that you're about to listen to, we actually recorded last December with Miss Julie live. And for various reasons, we hadn't played it yet. But as we listened to it again, we realized it's more timely now than ever because of the pandemic. We're talking about being your own health advocate, which I think can be difficult for women of every single age. And that's why we want to play it. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, I hope it, it gives you some food for thought. And now, because of that, we are going to do a part two with Julie, because here we are, smack dab in the middle of a health crisis, aren't we? All righty. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it. If you hear some background noise, it's just my husband typing on his keyboard, rolling around in his office chair, and printing, I guess, two or three thousand pages. Enjoy the episode. Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. Our guest today, we loved her so much the first time, we made her come back a second time to be a guest again. And it's our friend, Julie Tran Diley. Did I say it right? I did, see, see. Okay, now that totally blows my cover, doesn't it? That bitch over there in the corner just laughed me at, I thought, I, I knew I was sitting there. Okay, it's not funny. One, I have, I have issues, okay? I mispronounce words all the time. My husband calls, I do the same thing, actually. My, I do, and my husband calls me Norm Crosby, but no one knows who Norm Crosby is anymore because he was such an old comic who always mispronounced words. Never mind. That's called a tangent. Here's our story. Darling Julie is back, and this podcast comes out of a very personal story and it's going to it's on finding your own voice and being your own health advocate now i happen to think this is incredibly important to women because i think that women especially as we age we worry so much about our if our husband's health is going well for various reasons um maybe they they aren't highly insured we just don't know why but anyway but also, women are caretakers, they're centers of families lots of times, so I think sometimes we put our health on the back burner. But I was telling Julie a story, and then when she told me hers, I said, okay, that's the podcast and you have to come back and talk about that. When I was 27, so that was 40 years ago, I got, I had horrible PMS. Now remember, 40 years ago, no one knew, no, there wasn't a term for it for PMS. People said things like, oh, she's crabby. She must have her period. Or people just said stuff. But there wasn't really a term for saying that your body was in emotional and physical turmoil. Now, I suffered, okay? So I would, I would always say the same thing. I would, you know, 20, 25 days out of the month, I was Gidget. And then there were those four dangerous days where I was Joan Crawford or Betty Davis. Now, so I go to the a gynecologist, a male gynecologist, I'm 27, and my husband's in dental school, and I'm working hard and stuff, but I'm, I'm a pretty happy person, and I said to him, you know, my only concern is sometimes when I get my period, there's a couple of days there that I either want to commit suicide, or I'd like to murder my husband. Now, I thought that was pretty straightforward. I don't know how more straightforward I could say it. 
And that man looked at me, looked at my chart, and said, you know, you really need to get a hobby. And I remember thinking, well, my hobby can be watching you dance if I pulled out a, you know, a gun, but stop it, gun control everywhere. I didn't do that, but I walked out of the Heiser, it was Kaiser in those days, and I walked out and I thought, I'm gonna find a female gynecologist because I don't think this man is listening to me. And it kept happening. Now I can say, at the ripe old age of 68, almost every doctor I have is a female. Okay, and I'm more comfortable with female doctors because I feel like they listen to me. My gynecologist, my dermatologist, um, it's, it's just, I want them, they, they seem to have a little more understanding of what I'm going through. So that's what today is about, being your own health advocate. And our very darling Julie is here. Hi, Julie. Hi, Denise and Cindy. I'm so excited and I'm glad to be back. Thank you. Oh, our pleasure. So honey, this is so wonderful of you to share this because I know it's a private story, but it's so mandatory. If we don't talk about these things, we can't help each other. That's all I'm going to say. I agree. And how can we help our family members if we don't hear about how we can? That's right. That makes sense. Um, so I actually, uh, I, I was 35, so this was 2015, and I had this cough that wouldn't go away. And not only that, um, a few years back, I actually also, it's funny because when I meet someone new, I go, oh, gosh, I'm going to tell you my whole laundry list of <laughs> ailments that I have. And, you know, I have friends who are about my age. I'm almost 40. We're like, oh, our bodies are falling apart, aren't they? Like, they just are. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I blame one of my doctors at 35. He said, this is when it's going to start. Oh, um, yeah. So at 35, I was having this cough that would not go away. Okay. At the same time, I have a herniated disc in my neck. At that oh. time, I didn't know that's what it was. Yeah. So I would get, I would get um, prescriptions for steroids. And I, in 2015, I think I had steroids about six or seven courses of them. I didn't know that they actually compromise your immune system. So you have to be really careful when you are on steroids okay. when you're around other sick people. And then um, was really sick at the beginning of 2016. Um, I was coughing up a storm. And then, so we're, we're now in March, okay? Um, my husband kept saying, I kept going to the doctor. I was going to the GI doctor. I was going to the pulmonologist. I happened to have a pulmonologist only because I also have sleep apnea. Seriously, yes. you guys, I have, <laughs> I have everything. So I've had a CPAP since my early 20s. Um, it changed my life. How wonderful. My quality of life. Um, people say, oh, you should have surgery. I don't know what is causing it. Um, the CPAP works. Um, I'm not going to break what's fixed. That's right. So I have a pulmonologist because he has a sleep specialty. I came in one day and he goes, that does not sound right. You know, I kept coughing. He's like, something doesn't seem right. So I'm going to rewind a little bit. I, um, we were at Walmart. We were walking around. Maybe I shouldn't have said the name of the store. Um, <laughs> I'm coughing and I'm crying because I'm in so Aww. much pain. I'm doubled over. I look at my husband. And this is so mean of me to say this. And he's always thinking, like, this is an awful thing that you say. Um, I thought he was looking at me thinking, oh, my gosh, she's being dramatic again. He was looking at me with worry. Yes. He was like, what is wrong? Like, something is going on. And he begged me to go to the doctor that day, to go to urgent care and like, let's figure this out, right? I, I, like I told you, I'd been going to the doctor, couldn't figure out why, here's some more steroids. It would bring the cough down, but then they would come back. So went to urgent care and they suggested we do a chest X-ray. So we did the chest X-ray. She came back and said, 
it looks normal, you're fine, um, here's a breathing treatment and here's a Z-Pack and sent me on my way. And I have, an, I have allergies and I get allergy injections. Um, so I have an allergy doctor and I went to go see him the following, maybe actually a couple of weeks later. And he said, oh gosh, this cough sounds terrible. Every time I went to see a doctor, they were like, this they could not, hear it. Yes. They did, yeah, my they whole chest was it. rattling. I would say, um, I would tell people, I can feel my lungs. I know I'm not supposed oh, to feel God. my lungs. Oh, that hurts. Yeah. And it, there was even a fear where I was like, do I have lung cancer? Why do of I course. feel my lungs? Of course. Um, and I told him, hey, I actually had a chest x-ray a couple of weeks ago. And he said, oh, he asked his nurse to get the order back, um, to get the results, to, to get the results, the report. And she, I was, I paid my copay and I left. I don't remember. I mean, they might've given me more steroids. So I walked out of the room, I walked out of the door and she comes and flags me down and she says, Hey, the results say that you have pneumonia. And I said, no, I don't. They told me I don't. And you know, when you're not right and you're sick, yes, you do not. Like I said, <laughs> you're not reasonable. You're not rational. Yes. You, I, you should not make life decisions. That's right. But I looked at it and I said, no, I don't. She has a piece of paper right here that says Julie Diley has pneumonia. Wow. And I was like, no, I don't. And then I walked out of the room. I walked out. And I had, luckily, the following week, uh, that year I had went to the doctor so many times, I had my regular uh, once annual uh, checkup with my pulmonologist. And he, he again said, I don't like the sound of this cough. Like, we need to figure this out. And I said, well, I kind <laughs> of remember that I had a chest x-ray. And he pulls, and luckily he's in the same group as my allergy doctor. He pulls it up on his laptop and they look at it and he goes, it says here you have pneumonia and it's really bad on the right side of your lungs. And uh, did you know this? And I said, well, my allergy doctor's nurse told me last week that I had it, but I didn't believe her. I didn't understand. I, understand. I don't, I, I said, how could this have happened? And if and I looked at the paper, it said something like it told, it had a note from my primary care doctor, call Julie, call patient. Um, but they never called me. Oh my God. They never called me. Something happened with my chart. It's a long story. I oh. ended up being on the phone with my doctor. I almost fired her, my primary doctor, but I didn't because she's amazing. I'll tell that story later. But um, this is when my doctor, I had already started doing research. And this is one of my tips is research. I yes. know they say do not consult Dr. Google, but you have to be your own advocate and you have to know Absolutely. the right questions. Absolutely. You, how do you even know the language to even ask them to? pull the information out of their mouth sometimes. Some doctors, I feel like you have to ask the right questions to get the yes. answers that you need. Yes. And I, ha I was already going in there. Um, by the time I was going to my pulmonologist, um, I was going to ask him, can you order a CT scan? Um, like, what, what is one like? I don't, I've never had one. Can we, can we do this? And he starts asking, um, have you ever had a CT scan before? And I said, actually, I was going to ask you to order one. <laughs> And he said, okay, you know, we'll look at it and maybe you'll have to have a bronchoscopy. What is a bronchoscopy? Yeah. I've had a colonoscopy before. I know yeah. most people, a lot of people have. Um, I didn't know that they actually put a camera into your lungs and look at your bronchial tubes. Um, but he said, that is really invasive. I don't think that we're going to have to go there. Um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll just see, you know. And um, I had to wait to get the order for the CT scan because my insurance had to um, okay yeah, it. Of course. So you wait like a few days or a week or whatever. So the day, and I, what I love about my, that doctor's group and everything, they also have their own imaging center. And so the day that I got my CT scan done, 
the radiologist read it and sent the report to my doctor. Got it. So I if understand. I went at one o'clock in the afternoon, they called me at like 445 and the nurse said, the doctor wants to see you immediately oh. tomorrow morning. Okay. And I was like, oh, Uh-oh. yuck. You know? Yeah. yeah you knew yeah. that. Was, yeah. Exactly. So I come in and see him first thing in the morning and he... He's one of my favorite doctors because he just says it like it is. And if I'm freaking out, he's like, okay, Julie, you need to calm down. He just tells me, yes, this is, you know, or like you're being ridiculous. And he, he actually told me last year that I was being a little bit ridiculous about something. And um, I appreciate that. So he um, said, okay, I'm going to give you, um, he said, okay, so the CT scan does show a lot of pneumonia. We don't know what the heck is going on. I don't know what this is. I don't know what. He, he kept asking me, are you okay? Do you have a fever? And I, no, I don't have a fever. Are you okay? I said, well, except for this damn cough. Sure. I'm exhausted from but this cough. But I was cough. just going to say, which is exhausting. It is exhausting. I will say, um, I, I've never really spoken publicly about this, but the force of your cough was so much that sometimes I would pee a little bit. And no, I was I like, understand. oh my gosh, am I losing the uh, activity in my bladder, you know, okay. it kind of freaks you out. Now, like I have you- bad news. <laughs> now you're experienced because as a woman beyond a certain age, you won't have a cough later on in life. You're just going to think, oh, you take a little laugh. You say hello. You're watching a little sitcom. And then you think, oh, I pee-peed. So that's just another something to look forward to. <laughs> I would say but, if they had bottled up the energy it took oh, to do that yeah. cough, we could have powered a couple of cities, well, see, you know? <laughs> well, see, something new. Exactly. Something new. Exactly. We got to make this work for us, girl. <laughs> That's right. So what he did was, he, he, one thing he told me was that in the CT scan, they could see in my lower left lung that, um, and I don't know if I'm doing the left-right thing right, I'm just going by what I consider my left lung and my right lung. Because you know how, like, when you're looking at a car, the right side and the I know, I left side, I, I don't know which one's lung. which. Yeah. Camera left. Camera, yeah, camera lung left or human yeah. left, human That's right. right. So my left lung in the lower area, he said there was a perfect line of demarcation of where my body was walling off the infection. Wow. But it looked like aspiration pneumonia. And he said, I look at you, and I know you, did not, you do not have aspiration pneumonia. You're too young to have that. It okay. doesn't make sense. Okay. He said things don't make sense. And it's weird. You don't have a fever. Are you losing weight? No, I'm not losing weight. And I will say to this day, I I feel like I was robbed. I had tuberculosis. I had the wasting away disease, and I never lost any weight. I understand. <laughs> um, and, and some people find that funny. Some people think, oh gosh, she's crazy. But uh, <laughs> no, I but you it, always want to see. Uh, I want to see a positive and everything. Well, of course. Um, so he ordered a couple of blood tests, um, some lab work. Okay, and I went to that same imaging center. They also have a lab, and the same day they called him with the results. And, you know, that morning when I went to go see him, um, the day after my CT scan, I said, well, what about the bronchoscopy? Do you want to do that? And he said, mm, that's still a little bit, I, I don't think that we're there yet. You know? Okay. Um, so we do the blood result, the blood test, and I forgot exactly what the, um, those tests were, but it showed significant infection in my body. Um, and then... He calls me up, um, I think either that evening or the following morning. It, the nurse says, the doctor's on the line. Are, oh are you available to speak to yes. the doctor? Um, I was like, this is the first time ever a doctor is calling me on the phone and talking to me on the phone. They usually want you to come in or, you know, you'll find out the results in a couple of months when you come back in, right? Um, he said, we need to schedule that bronchoscopy. And I was like, oh, crap. Oh, God. 
We still don't know what's going on, but we're going to schedule the bronchoscopy. So I had it the following week. And is that, Julie, not to... I'm sorry. I, no, it's okay. They're scoping your lungs. Yeah, That's what so they're you doing. Go, Just like scoping your for a colonoscopy. Exactly. They're scoping your and lungs. I, you know, we all joked, we're hoping they use a different camera, a different yes, scope yes, yes. for that. We're hoping they use a different tube. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. That, that sounds painful to me. Oh, it's so funny because um, telling this... You, you mentioned that you only go to see women doctors now. Um, I had to, for the bronchoscopy in the area where I live, you have to go to the hospital to do it. It's a hospital procedure. Got it. I met with the anesthesiologist, and he was very cavalier, and he was like, oh, yeah. So one of the things about having sleep apnea that everyone in our, your audience should know is that if you have sleep apnea, it means you stop breathing while you are asleep. Yes. Several times, an hour, maybe yes. more. And if you ever have to go under anesthesia, you have to let the, the anesthesiologist and the surgeon know. They need to know that you have sleep apnea. So my logic of it, and someone can correct me, but basically, if I stop breathing normally under normal circumstances, what do you think you would do under general anesthesia? Get it. So they really have to monitor you. And um, I'm trying to remember if I brought my CPAP into the hospital for that procedure. Um, sometimes they have me bring it in, and they check it. They ask me what level my machine is set to. Got it. And they really are supposed to monitor you really closely when you're, you're under. And so the anesthesiologist came in and told me, okay, we can do this one of two ways. You'll be, um, and I think the first way is the way we're going to do it. But he hadn't discussed it with my doctor yet, who was doing the procedure. He came in and he said, the first way is you're awake. And they spray lidocaine down oh, your throat. Okay. All the way down your esophagus, or not your esophagus, down your... Oh, trachea? trachea, thank yeah. you. Down your trachea, and it would numb it as the camera is going down. But the con of this way is that when you wake up, you cough a ton, and you will cough for hours. And I looked up and I oh, said, God. "Why do I need to cough more?" Like I don't. Yes. I was just thinking, "Oh gosh, you know what is? I, I don't want it to do it this way." The second way is you go completely under, and and they put you under general, and you are. I don't know if it's called general, but. Um, they put, they give you the medicine, um, to put you to sleep Yeah, and they do the procedure and you have no uh, memory of it. Okay. And he said, we're going to do it the first way. And I said, Oh, great. Fantastic. Um, my husband was there and he was really supportive. So they wheel me into the room and then they put the mask over my face and I started saying, wait, wait. And they're like, just, they, they, I don't know if they said, <laughs> give her a little bit more or whatever. And I come back out, and I'm awake, and the anesthesiologist comes to me and he apologizes. He said, well, when we got you into the uh, operating room, the doctor said, we're doing it the second way. We're not doing it the first way. So thank goodness, right? Yes. And one of the things that they did was um, I had to do a couple of chest x-rays. They wanted to make sure they did not puncture my lungs before I could leave. Of course. The hospital. Yeah. This is really very frightening. You know, this... Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, I have no idea you tell the story. It's, yeah. It's very frightening, which I think... And, and, you know, this is the problem. Julie, people are frightened of health issues. Women, yes. I think women and men, I'm certainly not. And then they don't want to act on them because they're more afraid of it and they don't even know. Or the way I was raised, you're afraid that you are just raising the red flag for just a it's, little oh, issue. It's now, not a big deal. I this have is to tell you, a girlfriend older than me, I am going to have um, mammograms 
since early in my life. There is no breast cancer in my family, but I started doing it early because I could. My breasts have actually gotten healthier as I've gotten older, which is a whole nother story. But the only reason I say this, one of my friends who is brilliant and funny, when I say to her, have you had a, you know, a mammogram in the last few years? Her line is, this is a beautiful, brilliant woman. Ah, I'm not lifting up the hood to find any problems in the car if it's still running. Now, this is not a good, this is not no. being a good health advocate. So I'm very proud of you because it was a cough and it was horrible and you were exhausting, but a lot of people would have just said, oh, well, it'll be better. You know, it'll get better. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't get better. It doesn't. And you know, I will say, I have to give my husband credit because at one point, um, I didn't mention this earlier, doctors were thinking that I had acid reflux and okay, acid reflux can right. cause a really strong cough. And I have a friend who told me that she, um, when she was finally put on acid reflux medicine, it took her six months to get rid of her cough. And I remember that lunch, we were having lunch and, um, and talking about it and I was going <clears throat> coughing and I go, really? Is that okay? I have to wait another six months. Wow. And little did I know that it was going to be six months of medication for TB. Um, and and it wasn't acid reflux. It was not acid reflux. And uh, another terrible story is that now I have acid reflux because I was put on acid reflux medicine. Okay. <laughs> so the other thing that they were trying to do was give me muscle relaxers to help calm uh, the cough, yes, yes. which never worked. Okay. So um, um, when your lungs are infected, they're going to want to try to expel Absolutely. the infection, exactly. right? Yeah. Exactly. And just because my very first husband was a dentist and then went on to become, you know, a dental surgeon. It was a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of years, but honey, you know what he, what they said to him like the second day in school? Well, that's why we call it a practice. Oh gosh. I know. And you know, this is again, talking to educating yourself, researching yourself. I'm not saying scaring yourself to death by going mm -hmm. on WebMD. Um, because Cindy and I are both of the type, if we had a headache, we'll say to each other, oh, I think I have a tumor. <laughs> I think I have a tumor. And then we would say to each other the next day, oh, no, my headache went away. I guess the tumor disappeared. So I don't think you sh should scare yourself. But I, I think what you're saying, it's such a valuable information, Julie, that when something is wrong, you have to yes. look for the reason. Well, can I tell you that? And you're going to take, there are going to be a few things you're going to go down the yes. wrong road. I mean, that's the story of life. You I know? can't even tell you how many, I don't remember the exact words I used, but um, I Googled so many times what causes a cough or what causes a yes. persistent cough. I think I only noticed it said TB a couple of times. But so I came home from the bronchoscopy, and I think um, my tradition is after having some kind of procedure is to go get an egg muffin. So. Oh, okay. Because you haven't eaten for hours. Of course. What do you want, honey? Let's stop by McDonald's and get an egg McMuffin. I, I totally understand that. Because so that's what I do. The only thing I eat at McDonald's is egg McMuffins, and I love them. Mm -hmm. I love them. I don't know what they put them in. They're so I don't good. care. Let's not talk about so that. So I had that. <laughs> so I had that, and then the next morning, so I remember the day, because it was a Tuesday when I had the bronchoscopy. Wednesday morning, I woke up. The only reason why I got out of bed was because I had to take my Charlie, my dog, mm -hmm. I think at the time he was 12 years old, um, to physical therapy. And that's the only reason why I got up. I felt like every joint and every muscle and every bone in my body was on fire. I thought something is wrong. Um, I didn't really have the wherewithal cause you're really sick, um, that I finally developed a fever. Um, uh. and I was, I was, I was literally shuffling around the house. I could barely walk. And I got him into the car. We got over there and I remember asking the, the vet tech who, 
um, is a dear friend, and she's taking she's taking care of Charlie now. She's taking care of Angel. Um, I said, because her husband works at a hospital. I said, do you think that when they transferred me from the gurney onto the operating table, that they could have hurt me because <laughs> I feel like my joints are on fire? And she looked at me and she was like, I don't think that's what it is. <laughs> and you know, when you ask, and you still remember the things that you ask after you've had a procedure. You're not in your right mind. You go, why did I think that? And that is why you have to have other people in your life who can be an advocate for you too, right? I I agree. Because you are not in your right mind when you're sick, honestly. I'll say that over and over again. But so that night, my husband gets home. My husband's name is Curtis. He comes home and I kept saying, I don't feel right. I don't feel right. I don't feel right. My husband is not a complainer and he does, he's really good about putting up with my complaining, but then after a certain point, he's like done with it. Yes. And I always say, I tell these stories and I go, gosh, I make him sound like a total jerk, but he said, all right, honey, what do you want to do? Are we going to make dinner? I can make dinner. Or do you want to go to the emergency room? He was trying to solve the problem. He was trying to solve the problem because what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I said, I think I need to go to the emergency room. So we go to the emergency room and um, I... I dug my heels in and I said, I want to go back to the hospital that, where I had the procedure because they have all my paperwork. Yes. And they have all the information, right? So I think at 1 a.m. I finally got a hospital room. And by then, I could barely walk. Oh I was God. going to the bathroom. I was going to the bathroom so many times. I was shuffling to the bathroom from the little like ER like room that we were in. And um, it got to the point when I got into my hospital room, a nurse would have to help me get out of bed to go to the bathroom. I just knew something was not right. Terribly wrong. It was, something was not right. So the next morning, they come into the hospital room, and I see that they're wearing masks. <laughs> and I'm going, I don't know what's going on here, but they take my roommate out, who uh, was in the other bed in the hospital room, and then she moves out. They come in and they say, well, we believe you have tuberculosis. <gasps> You have tuberculosis. We need to move you to a quarantine room. Oh, my God. And I was like, this can't be. How do you have tuberculosis? You know what I was thinking in my head? Y'all are full of shit. You don't know what you're talking about. I was in denial. And I will say that I was in denial for a few weeks. Um, And I don't think being in denial really helps. No, see, it doesn't. It doesn't help at all. No, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. But I had to move into a room where I was not allowed to leave the room. And there was a whole procedure for doctors and nurses to come into the room. And I will say that my saving grace was um, an infectious disease specialist doctor who came and saw us, who happened to be, um, I think he was Malaysian-American. And he um, sat down with us, didn't come in with the mask, because yeah. he's an infectious was disease Curtis specialist. Freaked who's out? Been, Curtis was freaked out. And, he but, was, he did, but he had not contact, he had not, con- I mean, you've been in contact every day, you're married, but he didn't have tuberculosis. He d- it ended up, he did not have tuberculosis, but, okay, so he, he was exposed to it. Okay. But he wasn't sick. So there's, every, there's, Got they it. say that, um, I looked up the stats from the CDC that 10 million people have been infected with TB, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're sick. They've just been exposed. Um, wow. Yeah. So there's a lot of doctors and nurses who have been exposed. Of course. But they've just not gotten sick. So I felt terrible. Curtis was exposed, but he wasn't sick. Um, I had to be, so it ended up, I had four different antibiotics, um, and I had to take them for six months. And I was, I felt very grateful in the end because, 
Um, back then, um, way back when the, actually maybe even a few years before, the protocol was one whole year Got of it. medication. Got it. The medication made me really sick. So um, the first like two weeks, I had to take 10 pills a day. My God. Um, and the thing is, you have to deal with the health department. I didn't know this. Oh, it's a very no, old yes. disease. It has laws on the books. They come to your house. Yes. They hand you the medicine. They watch you take it. They're having this nice little cordial <laughs> conversation with you, but they're watching you like a hawk to okay. make sure you take your medicine. And you see, there are outbreaks, people don't know this, mm-hmm. of TB in kitchens. Because as immigrants come into kitchens that have not, that don't know they have TB. Yes. I worked in kitchens where we used to have to have TB screenings. Yes. Every the skin test. That's right. Yes. Every year. Yes. And inevitably, somebody had TB. Wow. So I know exactly what you're talking about because then we had to report it to the health department. Yes, and they come in and they test everybody. Yeah, not yeah. only was the chicken the wrong temperature, we were holding the chicken the wrong temperature, but Rudolfo had TB. Oh, no. I know. No, but Julie, yeah. the thought, I mean, looking at you and what, what you've done in life and computer engineer and software, all this stuff, the thought that you have TB would just, I mean, that's crazy. Do you know to what me, I mean? it was crazy too. And crazy. Every, the first question I always get when people say, when I say, well, I had active tuberculosis, because I, I always say active tuberculosis because I at one point thought I had an autoimmune disease and I went to go see oh, the most arrogant autoimmune doctor. I don't even remember what his specialty was or yeah. what the branch was. He was like, you don't have an autoimmune disease. He just looked at me and I said, well, the thing is, I've been talking to my doctors and I had tuberculosis. He goes, well, a lot of people have tuberculosis. And I said, well, I had to get the treatment. I had active yes. tuberculosis. Then he stopped and looked at me. Because when you say I have tuberculosis to a doctor who knows what they're talking about, yes. they don't know if you mean you've been exposed or, or I mean, yeah. they, they think that you've just been exposed. You know, you have the skin test, it's positive, but you're not sick, you're not contagious. No, I was like, well, no, I actually, I was sick. And so I tell people I had active tuberculosis and I was sick. But like, that's the that's the one key is to find doctors not even just women doctors but a doctor no, that I will agree. actually listen to you i agree this is and this is what this was all about and julie my god what a story and thank god you're well now but i'm going to tell you i think one denial doesn't work do you know what i mean and i mean one denial doesn't work um yes. and i and i'm from a generation and in background italians here was the example. When I was a kid, if you fell down, you know, short of going through the plate glass window, but you fell down, my father would look up. I mean, you'd start to cry. It hurt. You fell down. And my father would say, get over closer to me. I'll give you something to cry about. Oh, okay. gosh. I, I heard that. I know. I'm not. People this is such a different too. world. I mean, children yeah. now, I see children. They fall down. Their parents go, oh, you poor little thing. <laughs> my father. I mean, seriously, different generation. And mm-hmm. we did not go to the doctor often. We, my, I mean, if I had a bullet in my leg, my father would have said, okay, we've, I've got some duct tape. Okay. That's just, <laughs> well, you know, I love the Chris Rock, com- the comedian, Chris yeah. Rock. He, his family, <laughs> Robitussin, Robitussin. Oh, yeah. pour some Tustin on it. <laughs> that's right. Yes. So it really is. But as I have gotten older, I have realized that if I want to enjoy good health as I'm aging, that I have to be aware of what doesn't work so right now i found a woman gynecologist i hate your story of the arrogant you know autoimmune doctor and i've had one or two doctors that i've made suggestions in my own 
healthcare and to which they literally said, oh, you're going to be so sorry about that when I have, and you know what, they were wrong. But I'm pretty, I think your story is remarkable because one, you persevered and two, the, I can't, I'm sure when you were in denial or shock, you, I can't believe when they said you have active TB, you must've thought, are you kidding me? I, I immediately called my pulmonologist and I was like, you got like, I need to come down here and fix this. Yeah. And then he, I'm like, I need to talk to him. And you know, cause I, but if he had not called me like a couple of weeks before, I would have never thought I could get the doctor on the phone. So he, you learn like, oh, wait, I can do this. He gets on the phone and he goes, I'm the one who called the hospital <laughs> oh. because the preliminary results came back. Oh. And, but still it's crazy. It's such an ancient disease. It still takes eight weeks for them to culture it to tell you 100% wow. you have it. Wow. And so when they told me that, I was like, well, there's a chance. Because yeah, I'm yeah, the hope yeah, against yeah. hope girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a chance I don't have it, and you're going to give me all this medicine to make me sick. And here's the other thing of why I talk about it, and then I finally this year shared about it on my food blog. Oh, my gosh, she's writing about her health on her food blog. Good. No. So what? But it's important. Yes, I think it's important because um, now I just lost my train oh, of thought. Because of sharing food. I know where yes. you're going with this. About you, on your food blog. Yes, I, I shared on my food blog about it. Because it's so important to talk about it because you just don't know if somebody else would experience the same thing. I send messages to my friends all the time when they're posting. I have a child and they've been coughing for eight months. I go, oh gosh, I have this, you know, fear. And then now it's like when you buy a car and you see it everywhere, whenever I hear those (laughs) prescription commercials and, and if you have, you need to be tested for tuberculosis before you take this medication. Um, it's. It's something that like I never thought I would experience, but it is a part of who I am now. Yeah. And not only that, I, I feel like I've always been, not always, but like I say I found my voice in ninth grade is when I found it. <laughs> the summer before ninth grade, I had this amazing speech teacher in summer school. And um, I said, I've ne- never been able to shut up. You can't shut me up. You're always gonna hear my opinion, unfortunately and fortunately. But when I was sick, I felt so vulnerable and so emotional yes. and felt like didn't know myself anymore, you know? And it really took two and a half years after I finished the medication that made me really sick to come back and feel oh, like wonderful. I'm Julie again. That's right. I think that this is, I think, darling, the lesson for me when you told me this, Julie had told Cindy and I some of this yesterday. And I just thought it would be so valuable to other people because again, and I'm repeating myself, I think that women put their own health on the back burner a lot yes. because we are the center of the family or we take care of, you know, mm-hmm. it just is the way we are. But I'll tell you this, it's, if you, um, I feel Julie, and this is the thing when you talk about supportive, I had to have my gallbladder out. I'm a generation and then... Well, that's a whole fascinating another podcast. But when I had to have my gallbladder out, I went to a wonder, you know, the surgeon was one thing, but when they discovered the gallstones, which were painful and that, and they had an ultrasound and everything, I knew I'd looked up gallstones and I did not eat a rich and fatty diet. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking, why do I have gallstones? Well, then what appeared was there's a link from women of my age specifically that were the first batch of birth control women. So we took birth control pills and we weren't getting any bad side effects. But 20 years out, it appears that all the cholesterol in our body went into our gallbladders, okay? And it caught it and it created these gigantic gallstones. (laughs) 
I know. So anyway, I just say that, and I know they've changed the recipe since then. The recipe, but when they it. took my, I I want to say one thing. I'm not showing off. I had the biggest gallstones in the history of Cedar Sinai Hospital in an Argentinian film um, crew. Uh, interviewed me. I, I'm just, I'm, I mean, come on. That's a resume build your viewer. But I'm just saying, after that, Julie, after I found out about my gallstones and stuff, I, it, it, I was able to learn more about my body. Do yes. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I became my own health advocate. And my husband's excellent about it. When I say something, he goes, go to the doctor. Figure it out. Yes. You know, don't suffer with this. Because I just think it's incredibly important, and I know for me, I wasn't taught to do it. So yes. I need, I'm need i retraining myself, and hearing other people's stories, I think it makes me feel better to think that we all have to take care of ourselves. We do, and I feel like I didn't do it until I got really sick. There you and go. And really, I said, while I was sick even, I was like, gosh, we really do not value and, and are right. not grateful enough for our health That's when right. we have it. And also, when we are sick, I don't think we want to trouble other people. Yes. See? I have some stories about that, too. Oh, I mean, I, I, relationships and friendships really oh, yes. broken and changed over that time. And I really... Um, oh, my God. It's another podcast episode about, like, really... Well, who like, your friends are. Yeah, you know who your friends are, and you know your worth, and you go, you know what? I, I don't deserve this. I, I'm exactly not put right. up with this. And you go, um, this is not right. But when you're sick and someone's treating you awfully, you go, oh, you question yourself. That's right. You go, am I talking about, I was thinking at first, am I talking about my illness too much? I know. I and know. it was just like, no, this person's being an awful friend to me. That's exactly you know? right. Um, do you want to talk about the tips that I have? Oh, please. Okay. Give, me, give us a couple of tips, please. And some of them are things that we've heard so many times. And I think that number one, you cannot hear this enough, is listen to your gut. You need yes. to listen to your gut. Um, talking about the friendships that were changed or broken or whatever, I've had a couple of friends in my life over the years where I would tell them something about a gut feeling and they would try to tell me that I was too paranoid or, oh my gosh, I, I, I don't see it that way at all and really try to discount me. Got it. And I say never again. Um, okay, I shouldn't say never again, but I won't allow people to discount me That's when exactly I really right. have a gut feeling. And if you have a gut feeling about something, this really goes into number two. If a doctor says something inappropriate, makes you feel uncomfortable, doesn't seem right, like I, your like I advice. Like yesterday, yes. The, yes. Um, time to find a new doctor. That's and right. that should be square one. Find a new doctor right then. Because I have learned that when it happens, it will keep happening. And um, I made the mistake of going to the same doctor for 20 years before I found a new doctor. And then... You know, I ended up having to go to see an oncologist that this doctor did not find something that that he was supposed to find. Do you know so, what's the best part, Julie, of us moving up here? My husband researched and we found some great doctors. He did it. and they. But I changed all my doctors. And I know that sounds to some people that might sound like, oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Or, it, it took me a year, but now I have a dentist I like better. Mm-hmm. I have a gynecologist I like better. So here in the little enclave of Ventura, not in Big LA, where we connected to Cedar sinai mm-hmm. I have found better health care for myself. That's great. So, it, you know, again, yes, it seems like it's a, I think people just, again, what we were saying, one, we discount, and two, we think, oh, it's too much trouble to go to the doctor, or I don't want to make an appointment, or I don't want to have to change my doctor, but you know what? Maybe you do. Yes, that's right. The thing that I learned, the big lesson that I learned in the hospital, like I always, even though that hospital experience was awful, um, there were so many lessons I learned, and one of them was 
huge, and this is a lesson for life, is be persistent but nice. That's right. I'm actually one of the most persistent people that you'll ever meet. It's so funny. Um, my friends will say, oh, gosh, she's so persistent. I'm literally, well, oh, you said no to me. I'm going to go find the person that would say yes to That's me. That's exactly right. find the right person who said yes. That is a life lesson. Yes, it is. I had an experience where I could barely sleep because there was a, there was a man in another room a few doors down. I don't know if he's around the hall or whatever. He was screaming his head off. Oh, my so my nurse comes into the room, and I said, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And she's like, this is awful that she said this to me. She said, we're ignoring him. Oh, <laughs> And I was like, what if he's like dying? You know? Sorry to laugh. I, know. I told this story to one of the TV doctors that I, I believe, met. I believe, to be yes. perfectly honest with you, that's why I'm not yes. a nurse. Because yes. I would have been that nurse smoking a yes. cigarette, having a little nip saying, yeah, we're just going to ignore him. But I was like, I remember being so sick and like my husband brought me donuts to like brighten my day. I even offered it to the nurse. How that's sweet. just my personality. Yes. And they were like, you're so sweet. We can't, we're not allowed to eat, but thank you so much. And then I realized you just need to be nice. That's but if you exactly have to right. keep asking, like I, one morning um, they kept saying they were going to come get my medicine and my fever got worse. And I thought, oh my God, I'm dying. This is getting worse. I thought I was getting better. And then they were three hours late with my medicine. My fever broke. And then I got angry. I thought, this is how people get sick and die in hospitals because they don't get the medicine on time. I know. And I realized, and after talking to this other doctor that I met a few months later, he was like, yes, the key is to being persistent but nice. You have to be persistent to get what you want, but you have to be nice at the same time. Um, my other one is all about asking questions and researching like we yeah. talked before. But also now, ever since then, I, I have a thick, thick folder of all my results from, from that year of TB. Every time I had to do, it was gross. Like I had to spit in a cup and they did the test <laughs> results, um, all the blood tests, because one of the medications actually could affect your liver and also affects the vitamin B6 in your body. So they would run these tests every three or four weeks. I kept a copy of everything, every imaging, um, every CT scan. I've had an MRI on my neck. I have the disc so that I could show it to another doctor. If I need to go to a different doctor, they can compare the results from That's the year right. before. So smart ask for copies and even if they seemed a little shocked about it it's okay you know like it's yours I've had that yeah it's exactly yours. and my last one I think that is so helpful for me is I use Evernote a lot and you can use your notes if you have an iPhone but I have a, a note called current medications and I list out all my medications the dosage and how much I take each day so smart. it started from those days because every time I would go to the doctor they wanted to know all the four medicine medicines I was taking what dosage? One of them was like 3,000 milligrams. I had never taken a medication that high of a dose. Gotcha. Um, and um, I have to, uh, through all of this, I found out that I have an immune deficiency. And so I have the name of that because I always mix up the words. Um, I have to get flu vaccines and I have the dates of those. I keep all of that information. So, so say, smart. So you don't have to remember all That's of it. That's right. And you know what, honey? You can't remember no, all that. No, you can't. That's the part, and I'm not as good at that, but I'm trying to. My husband's trying to teach me. I have been keeping the prescriptions. I have them. I take pictures of them, and they're on my phone, so if I go somewhere else, I can say to the doctor, this is what, you know. That's great. Or I bring the plastic baggie that's empty with my prescriptions in it to a new doctor to say, this is what I'm already taking. Yes. And I have found that to be helpful, too. Yes. And I could show you how to do it. You could actually take the picture and add it to an Evernote and oh, you could just scroll she, because you don't have to go through she, your camera roll and find it. Here she is, Miss Techni <laughs> Technologically. And I am so challenged. No, you're not. 
Thank you, Julie, for everything. Now, Thank you so much for I having me. I think that me. people are going to write us letters. They're going to ask us questions about this podcast. They're going to, maybe some of them will share with us some experiences they had. So if that's true, we are at womenbeyond at icloud.com. We have our website now, our beautiful website that Miss Cindy put up that is called Women Beyond a Certain Age. See, cindy.com. Cindy seems to see a pattern here with my memory so that we are just, so you get the program, we're just sticking close to the bone here, as we say. And by all means, go to our, our Facebook page. And uh, thank you again, Julie. This was so, see, I just don't think that people realize in this day and age, Something like a young, vital woman gets TB, okay? Mm -hmm. But if she had not persisted, she could still be ill. Oh, that's so scary, but it's true. It's true. I know this. I, I've had to learn to be a better... And as I've taken this year off, I've realized that... See, when I was working so much, and I think this is so many women that we're talking to out there, and Cindy and I have said this to each other, I used to work so much, I think I'm just tired. Okay. Then when I wasn't working so much, I thought, well, I want to spend the next 20 years, if that's what I've got left, feeling the best I can. Mm, okay? I like that. So that's what I think we're really talking about, being a health advocate, because we're trying to make our lives the best we can. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Miss Cindy. Thank you, Thank Julie. You. Thank you. Bye-bye.